Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long road. Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally here I can feel the change in the wind right now Nothing's in my way And I'm not gonna hold me down no more No, I'm not gonna hold me down Cause I've got faith I've got heart Good evening, everyone. This is Dr. Jess Armine coming to you from the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Tonight, we have a great show for you. It's going to be on oxalates, a new hot topic that everybody wants to know more about. Uh, If you have not gotten the PDF associated with it, I think I've uh, transmitted it far and wide. It's on the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine blog page. it's on my blog page. Uh, it is on, oh gosh, probably everywhere. <laughs> NTHFR um, gene mutation. I had some commentary that the link gives a, a PDF that is in landscape mode, so it kind of goes sideways. <clears throat> when I do that, it doesn't do that. But should that happen, uh, just go to uh, on the top view, and then it'll give you the opportunity to rotate either counterclockwise or counter or clockwise rotate the screen, and you'll be able to follow along. And before we get going, I would like to say uh, I want to make some acknowledgments of where I got my information. Number one, I got uh, the information from the uh, article Oxalate Control from Great Plains Laboratory. I also got information from a researcher and oxalate guru, Susan Owens, I got information from the uh, Loox coach, Monique, uh, input from the Trilo Oxalates uh, Facebook page, a bunch of great people on it, and I ha- had input from our own Sean Bean, and I'm sure I'm forgetting someone, and I will mention as soon as it occurs to me. <clears throat> so, tonight, let me tell you, it would be impossible to teach you all about oxalates, so I believe I've honed it down to the essentials. When you walk away tonight, you'll understand what an oxalate is, why it's important, how you can, how oxalates can interfere with your body, 
on basically how to treat them and hopefully a few other things that will be relevant to your condition. Of course, I'll be taking calls at 646-595-2277 and on the chat room, which is sitting in front of me. Okay, but please always remember that I cannot answer specific questions, give specific dosages, or make diagnoses over the radio. Okay, you can always call the office for a consultation, but uh, there has to, it's just improper to do that. Okay, anyway, so now that we've gotten that over with, hold on a second. Wanted to get a drink of water. Oxalates, the missing factor in healing. Oxalates, what are they? Just follow along on the PDF. Well, you know, an oxalate is a very simple sort of molecule. Okay, you're going to find it in organic chemistry as uh, one of the organic acids. Organic acids tend not to be very, very acidic or dangerous. Uh, you can get oxalates or organic or oxalic acid from your diet, from uh, fungi, from yeasts. Of the acids that are out there, oxalic acid is one of the more uh, one of the more stronger. Is that good English? Well, it's the stronger or the most acidic of the organic acids. And one of the things that can produce oxalates and almost to the point of poisoning is ethylene glycol, which is antifreeze. Okay, and um, this changes to oxalates in the gut and really wreaks havoc. Interestingly, uh, the laxative Miralax is polyethylene glycol. So um, I'll leave it up to you if you're you're going to use Miralax just because it's polyethylene glycol instead of ethylene glycol. Sounds like a poison to me. Uh, There are man-made oxalates, weed killers, okay, that that we spray on weeds to uh, kill them. And some medications are purely oxalates. Uh, oxalates link up with minerals like calcium, magnesium, zinc, potassium, and so forth, <clears throat> and crystallize under certain under certain conditions, and this is synthesized by the incomplete oxidation of carbohydrates. But the takeaway here is that these crystals are formed in a way that can be quite irritating, and they deposit themselves in different parts of the body and can cause or increase inflammation. One more time with the water. Think of kidney stones. And that's the most common type of oxalate crystal that there is because most of those crystals are calcium oxalates. Okay, yeast can increase oxalate production. Okay, can actually increase the combination of oxalates with mercury and eliminate the excretion of mercury in the body. And this is especially bad if you happen to have had a you have a yeast problem and you've had a uh, vaccination recently because it's going to uh, make it difficult for you to get the mercury out of your system. So what are some of the bad things that oxalates do? Well, they induce oxidative stress. Okay, One of the things they do by a mechanism by interfering with the transsulfuration pathway is they prevent the produ- production of glutathione which is your body's master antioxidant and antitoxicant. One more time, excuse me. I don't want to be coughing in your ears. It increases oxidized glutathione. Oxidized glutathione is that type of glutathione that uh, is used up. And for those people who have a predisposition 
in the electron in the electron transport chain in the mitochondria, the oxidized glutathione can actually sit in that first complex and prevent the products of the Krebs cycle, which is supposed to give you energy, uh, from entering the Krebs cycle, and uh, that can give you chronic fatigue and so forth. It interferes with sulfur chemistry because um, it uses the same transporters as are used in the cystothalamic beta synthase pathways. It can impair growth. And let me tell you something, why this is so important. It blocks the methylation pathway. It blocks the methionine pathway. It blocks the folate pathway. It interferes with sulfur uh, chemistry. Basically, it interferes with everything. And it binds to damaged tissue, prolonging injury. That's the crystal formation. Okay, and uh, like I said, it binds minerals that are needed as cofactors. For instance, magnesium, potassium, calcium, uh, B6, zinc, so forth. These are things that are required to run your biochemical pathways. So when you have high oxalates, uh, it's practically going to interfere with every ability your body has to right itself or to heal itself. Also, it totally disrupts mast cells. So it starts releasing a ton of histamine. Okay, and this may be the basis of mast cell activation disorder. And think about it. These crystals are pooling in different glands like your thyroid, as well as muscles and joints and so forth. So high oxalates have a fair amount of symptoms. Pain is one of the bigger symptoms. Things like urinary pain, joint pain, achiness, inflammation, ongoing dysbiosis, sometimes sandy-looking stools, low mineral status uh, from binding the minerals. Essentially, any inflammatory condition that does not want to get better with the usual stuff, you have to think of high oxalates. And in the Great Plains Laboratory uh, article, there's a high correlation between oxalates in the urine, and children with autism. And this is where Susan Owens did a lot of her work when she found out with kids on the spectrum that if you treated the oxalates, because they had a much higher um, oxalate amount in the urine, that you would see improved growth and fine motor skills, better counting ability, better receptive and expressive language, increased imitation skills, increased sociability, decreased rigidity, better sleep, reduce self-abusive behavior, increase imaginary play, improve cognition, decreasing bedwetting, less frequent urination, improved handwriting, less fatigue and more energy, and many others, which makes total sense, people, because if you take away the reason why the body does not want to heal itself, and these oxalates are real high on my list, then the body will heal itself, which just goes to show you that autism is a healable disorder. <clears throat> Ox oxalates are the missing link in a lot of diseases, a lot of things that don't want to get better. And again, I'm going to mention chronic pain because of the uh, crystals, and this is like joint pain, muscle pain, and generalized pain, chronic inflammation, fibromyalgia, autism, vulvar pain or vulvodynia or um, interstitial cystitis, kidney stones, crystals in the heart, bone, brain, and various areas in the body. Believe it or not, and I'm not sure which came first, the chicken or the egg here, Lyme disease. I know that it causes very high oxalates, but I'm wondering if the oxalates came first and it opened the person up for Lyme disease. Uh, AIDS. 
uh, Hashimoto's, all of the dysautonomias. I guess the takeaway here is that oxalates can be either a downstream or an upstream effect of any of these conditions, but once you have it, the body does not want to heal. And frankly, you should start suspecting high oxalates when in all inflammatory conditions, every single one of them. Uh, but think about it in mold, if you have positive mold tests, especially in all the literature, they talk about yeast overgrowth. And sometimes you'll see that as high arabinose on your organic acids test, uh, positive stool test, or sometimes you can just stick out your tongue, and if you've got a white-coated tongue, you've got a lot of yeast. Parasites, positive stool tests, and here's one that's missed an awful lot, high eosinophils on the CBC. If you look on the complete blood count and you look at the white blood cell differential, that's the uh, neutrophils, um, lymphocytes, and so forth, you'll see basophils, monocytes, eosinophils, it says EOS. If the EOS is quite high, uh, you have to be thinking parasites, okay? And, of course, history of exposure. If you're going to a country that's been known to, you know, have a lot of parasites and you were drinking the water and eating the food and you got sick when you got back, well, it doesn't take a genius to figure out the, the, um, the correlation there. Um, Lyme disease, Lyme co-infection, exposure to pesticides, use of high oxalate medications like Miralax or I believe Lexapro is, uh, is a pretty good oxalate. People say like, okay, so I want to test for them. What do we do? Well, <clears throat> if you already have an organic acid test, uh, all you have to do is look at the oxalate metabolites and uh, simply look for oxalic acid, okay? And the, ca the case you have in front of you, the uh, reference range is 8.9 to 6.67, and this individual has um, an oxalic acid of 93. On that test, you'll also see higher abinose and, and several other indicators of high yeast, but this is the linchpin. Uh, LabCorp does a oxalate creatinine ratio. It's a little... It's a little tough to interpret, but here's how you interpret it. Uh, they'll tell you what the oxalates are in the urine. This is a random urine sample. So you see that in this particular person, the oxalates are nine, but there's no reference interval. They don't have a reference range. So then they do the creatinine, which does have a reference range, and then they give you the ratio, in this case, is 41.1. Using a little bit of ledger domain, a little bit of uh, clinical application, in your mind, if you take that reference range and knock it into thirds, if that number, the result, is in the upper third and you have other signs or other suspicions of high oxalates, you should consider the person as having high oxalates, okay, even if it's above half. And there is uh, one from Quest Labs that will test the oxalates. It's easy enough because they'll give you the oxalates in a number, and there's a 24-hour urine for oxalates. There's a lot of other tests that will give you indicators, but... It's easy enough to actually test for the oxalates these days. So what do you do about it? Okay, I mean, the oxalates really involve themselves in all kinds of uh, all kinds of havoc in the body. Okay, it can create, basically have your body stop working. Okay, and this is, this is the thing. I've been doing this kind of a long time. Okay, and I've been very, very blessed to be associated with uh, people who are more intelligent than I am, quite frankly. 
okay, and who are better researchers. And as you know, our research is consistently ongoing. So, you know, we've been, we developed bioindividualized medicine where we put, uh, we, we associated the epigenetics, uh, which included methylation, <clears throat> transsulfuration, methionine pathways, all the various pathways, okay, and made consideration of that with neuroendoimmunology and um, uh, mitochondrial dysfunction and cell integrity and kind of put that together as a paradigm so that doctors would look, healthcare providers would look at each point and treat things by intention, and it's been working very, very well. So we're beginning to be able to treat the downstream, recognize and treat the downstream effects, the upstream effects of the root causes. Uh, the genetics are pointing the way and saying, look over here, look over there, look over there. But we kept hitting walls in certain cases. As you might imagine, uh, the type of case that Sean and I and other people uh, get are those people who've been to, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 doctors, and the highest one I've gotten, I'm like the 75th doctor, and they haven't gotten answers. They haven't gotten better. And one of the things that we've noticed is that these people have incredibly high oxalates and other healthcare practitioners are not recognizing that as significant, much less treating it. So if you suspect high oxalates and you test for high oxalates, and even if you just suspect it and you're never getting better and you wanted to start treating or you wanted to talk to your healthcare provider about treating it, let me give you some ideas of how it's properly treated, okay? And some of this is kind of new for me, too, because as I've been learning about this, I've been learning the better ways of doing it. And I have um, Monique Lowox coach, uh, the people at Tri Oxalates, Sean and, and so forth, helping me out and, you know, giving me <clears throat> the benefit of their experience. Uh, reducing oxalate intake. Um, there are tons of high oxalate food lists out there. Okay, if you go to the um, article I told you about, uh, there'll be a food list there, but you'll have to do is type into Google high oxalate food list and you'll get one like um, dark beer, black tea, chocolate milk, cocoa, instant coffee, hot chocolate, juice made from high oxalate fruits, uh, dairy, fruits, uh, nuts, seeds, nuts, nut butters, sesame seeds, tahini, soy nuts, uh, starch, amaranth, buckwheat, I'm zipping just through wheat germ, uh, black pepper, marmalade. It doesn't look like I'm eating tonight. Okay. Uh, chocolate. Chocolate. Oh, my gosh. Um, parsley, uh, fruits, blackberries, blueberries. What is a carambola? I don't know. Anyway, concord grapes, currants. Is that current or currants? Like, okay, we won't get into it because uh, I'll digress. You know me. I'll just go off on a tangent. Uh, various uh, vegetables, beetroots, which I didn't realize were actually just beets. They call them beetroots because that's Australia, right? Okay. Carrots, dandelion greens, eggplants, escarole, pokeweed. I've never ate a pokeweed in my life, and I'm not about to. Okay, rutabaga. Sounds like a joke from the 40s. Anyway, so you can read these things, but the, pot, the thing is, if you have a high oxalate diet, you need to bring the oxalates down slowly. Now, if you join the group Try Low Oxalates, uh, they'll make available to you a spreadsheet that has the oxalate content of a mess of different foods. And frankly, the higher your, your diet is in oxalates, the slower you need to reduce the oxalates because you can create a condition called oxalate dumping, which I'm about to explain. But just to give you the principle, if you're having under 500 milligrams of oxalates per day, you can go down by 10% a week. But 
if it's over 500 milligrams of oxalates per day, you should really only go down 5% a week. Oxalate dumping. This is what happens when you drop your oxalate intake too quickly. You know, it's kind of the same thing. If you bind the oxalates or you just stop putting them in, those crystals that are, some of them are soluble, some of them are insoluble, but they all will break down at some point, and they're going to release those oxalates. And if you let them release too quickly, as, as having the high oxalates from diet or from anything else. So, uh, frankly, the dumping releases oxalates, which are going to uh, which are going to bind to things like calcium and magnesium, gave you muscle aches, muscle cramps, headaches, numerous other symptoms, uh, sandy-looking stools. Okay, essentially, you'll probably go through a bit of a honeymoon period where you'll feel pretty good, and I've seen this already. If somebody says, hey, for a few days I felt great, or I felt great for a week, and all of a sudden, kaboom. It was like it all came back, and that's the oxalate dumping. You want to avoid that by the amount of oxalates that you're eating. Uh, that's why joining one of the groups is important. Uh, consulting with the low ox coach or any of her contemporaries, people who can actually help you work your way down on the oxalates. Okay, that's kind of important. Now, treating the high oxalates. Again, I'm not going to be able to tell you exact replenishment things, but I'm going to give you as many hints as I can. Number one, you should drink a lot of water. Okay. That's kind of a given because you are talking about crystals you're trying to get rid of. The more hydrated you are, the easier it is to get rid of the crystals. They have a certain amount of solubility. Each type, the calcium oxalates are a little easier to get rid of. The magnesium oxalates are almost impossible to get rid of. I'm sorry, not magnesium. The mercury oxalates are really tight, but they will break down at some time or another. Okay. Um, lots of times you need to replete B6. But you don't want to hit the body too fast and too hard with the B6. So some suggestions I was reading was to take a 25-milligram tablet and divide it into four pieces and take a quarter of a pill a day and build your way up from there. Certain things like N-acetylglucosamine will increase hyaluronic acid on, in between the cells and decrease some of the pain that you're feeling. Chondroitin will decrease oxalate formation. Interesting, isn't that kind of a common combination, glucosamine and chondroitin, so it isn't too hard to get. Uh, you need to check the zinc level. If you have high zinc uh, for B6, you want for high zinc, you want to use P5P. If it's low, you want to use B6. B1 and B5, you need to replete if necessary. Um, what was I found interesting, and, and Sean called me up and said, you know, make sure you say this, uh, a high concentration of lactic Bacteria probiotics, things like Lactobacillus acidophilus, uh, Bifidobacterium lactis, have been known to chew up the um, chew up the oxalates. And there's a nice, interesting article there: reduction of oxaluria after an oral course of lactic acid bacteria at high concentration. The use of mineral citrate compounds. Uh, interestingly enough, the citrate compounds will bind with the oxalates in the gut and uh, render them inert, render them uh, non-functional. So uh, calcium citrate, magnesium citrate, uh, there are multi-mineral citrate compounds, and essentially they will bind with the oxalates and then release those minerals which they've been stealing. 
I've been asked about transdermal magnesium, uh, things like Epsom salt or magnesium oil, and that uh, turns out that uh, those things may dissolve calcium and um, I say I'm writing magnesium here, but I, re I read that it helps break down cal calcium oxalate and um, I'm sorry, mercury oxalate, which is which is a pretty good deal. Okay, uh, high levels of omega threes will do that. They also talked about taurine being helpful because it helps the bile, but um, but I would be careful. Okay, because uh, high levels of taurine, uh, you know that I'm the, I'm the neurotransmitter whisperer, and taurine is an inhibitory neuromodulator, and if it's low, you need it. But if you already have high taurine in your system because of difficulty with the transsulfuration pathway, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, okay, you're going to get very, very high taurine, and you're going to get symptoms like insomnia and hyperactivity and so forth. So be careful with the taurine if you think, if you read about it and you're thinking about taking it. Um, Excess fats in your diet are going to increase the oxalates because it binds with the bile salts, creates a insoluble soap, and decreases calcium abil calcium's ability to bind um, to bring down the oxalates. Okay. I'm sorry. It combines with bile salts and calcium to form an insoluble soap, so it decreases the ability to decrease the um, the oxalate uh, levels. Let's not forget, we need to heal leaky gut, okay? How many times you keep hearing this from me, all right? Leaky gut is the great creator of inflammation in the body regardless of the root cause, and that means we need phospholipids to cell wall integrity, not non-oxalate substances to heal the cell wall. <clears throat> there are certain things called bovine immunoglobulin protein isolates. There's a um, medical product, and there are some... Um, I've just recently found out that there are some readily available from a different vendor, um, same substance that the uh, uh, medical food, the prescriptive medical, medical food is. They highlight against the probiotics and support of the digestive enzymes, okay, supporting the, the um, gallbladder function. And let's not forget, you need to treat the root causes, okay, whatever... You know, we're talking about Lyme co-infections, the Bacillus bartonella, anaplasma, yeast, mold, parasites as being the root causes that increase inflammation, increase the oxalis. But sometimes I wonder if it isn't the oxalis that came first. Either way, you've got to treat both. But you've got to treat the oxalis first. Otherwise, nothing will work. And that is the takeaway, people, that if you suspect high oxalis and you have a reasonable history of simply not getting better no matter what, anyone does, I mean, you're just that person that doesn't want to get better, then you're pretty pretty solid that you probably have high oxalates. So you, if you're going to treat it, you want to work with a healthcare provider, I think it's the best thing to do. But if you're going to consider treating it on your own, use the principles that we've given you, bring the oxalates down slowly, get some help at least with the Facebook group, and then utilize the more common um, binders, if you will, of the oxalates, like the, like the multi-mineral citrate compounds and so forth, okay, and consider that the root causes, once you get the biochemical pathways working, things that didn't work before will work now, okay, and sometimes, you know, you say, oh, I've tried this, but it doesn't work, 
okay, maybe it just wasn't the right time. Okay, and now once you get certain things moving again, certain pathways open, it will be the right time. Okay? So, as usual, if uh, anybody would like to uh, consult with myself or Sean, okay, uh, you can actually, now I have this two different numbers here, but uh, we're combining everything in one center, so you can just dial our number, 610-449-9716. Uh, the email is bioindividualmed at gmail.com, where there's a contact form at methylationsupport.com. Uh, and for your practitioners, okay, who are interested in learning more about what we do and how we're healing cases that, uh, frankly, uh, have stumped almost everybody, okay, we are doing, uh, we will help them on a one-time or ongoing basis. We offer personalized mentorship opportunities. And basically, if you go to methylationsupport.com and click methylation practitioner support, there'll be a ton of information there. And we've heard you. We hear it daily. You know, I go to a practitioner who says he knows methylation but really doesn't. Okay? My doctor only knows part of my problem. I'm not getting better. And then the biggest thing I consistently hear several times a week is, who can put this complex stuff together? Well, frankly, we've heard you and we are responding to it, Sean and I. And our new website, which will be up in a couple of weeks, which you're seeing the uh, uh, the nice red uh, new logo, okay, will be up in a couple of weeks. And on it, drum roll please, we're going to have a list of recommended healthcare practitioners. Let me explain this. These practitioners will, gonna, are, will have attended training, Dr. Ben's methylation courses, the recent uh, course at uh, MABIM, uh, or other adequate education, and, and here's the point, and have demonstrated to Sean and I understanding the principles involved, understanding other principles involved, and competence in practicing these principles. We're actually going to do certification in a bit, okay, but it's going to be rather complex. So we're starting with a list of practitioners whom we've worked with, whom we've trained, and we are confident that they are trained and competent. And of course, disclaimer, uh, we cannot be responsible for their actions, non-actions, results of treatment with any practitioner on our list. Why this way? Well, there are some lists you go to that if you, you don't know how the person got on the list, okay? And um, there's a list where uh, they took a course or two courses and they're on a list. But that doesn't mean, in my, in my estimation, that they actually know what they're doing, okay? Because who's tested them, all right? Our list is going to include the fact that the healthcare provider has been trained, and we're going to assure this person who we recommend is going to be trained and competent. So after several hours of mentoring with Sean or I, we're going to know what that person understands the principles and is willing to take the time to diagnose and treat you. Okay, now this list is like really short right now. There's only about five or six people on it. Okay, because it's not going to be an easy thing to get on the list. But we want to make sure that you, the consumer, who have been spending your life savings going from one place to another to another to another with lack of satisfaction, have a set of practitioners that they can go to that 
someone who you trust, myself, Sean, has looked at them, has tested them, has talked to them, has really made sure that they understand what they're doing before we let them loose on society or let them loose on our list. And if they don't turn out that that's what they're doing, they come off the list just as quick. So if you have providers that are interested in finding out how to get on our list or how to be trained, they should just contact us the same way um, as if they were going for mentorship opportunities. We're really trying people to find all kinds. When I say when I say practitioners, I'm talking about practitioners of every ilk. It doesn't mean just doctors. I'm talking about nutritionists, acupuncturists, uh, all people of all healthcare providers, and there's loads out there who are really, 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 really good at what they do, and they are raring to learn, and they're spending time with us, and they're learning, and they're demonstrating incredible intuitiveness, incredible competence. We want to bring them to you and be confident and say, talk to that person. You pick somebody off our list, and you can be confident that they know what they're talking about when it concerns bioindividualized medicine, which is genetics, neuroendocrinology, and so forth. So we are doing this, okay, and it's for you guys. It's harder for us because we have to, you know, have to train these people. But you've asked for it. You've asked for it a thousand different ways, and we're going to deliver it. Okay, it's going to start here. It's going to grow. Okay, the requirement's going to get more stringent, okay, which is just means you're going to get a better practitioner, okay, but we're going to make sure that you see good people. So when you see somebody off our list, you can count on the fact that I would send my family to them. Sean would send their family to them. So here it is, 33. The number to call in is 646-595-2277. As usual, here I'm at. Okay, I have somebody here who says, I'm in horrible pain. I suffer from rheumatoid arthritis, low iron joints have flared up, and burning on the balls of my feet. I feel like I'm stepping on pebbles. I can't, whoops, there we go. I can't go back on painkillers. I was on methotrexate, but it triggered seizures. Okay, uh, will this work for me? Well, I can't answer will it work, but it is certainly a consideration. If you have not been treated for high oxalates, let me tell you something. That would be a major consideration in that kind of case because that what is being described is uh, significant inflammation. I don't know what the root cause is. I know that this individual is in a lot of pain, and it's certainly uh, something I would consider. And uh, if done correctly, I've seen people with horrendous problems back up and get better. Okay, it takes a little bit of time, but if you've been in pain for four or five years and it takes you three or four weeks to reduce that pain by 50%, it's, it's time well spent. Okay, I think. Anyone else? I have somebody here in the 717 area code. I'm going to click it because they've been sitting here a while. Let's see if they want to ask a question. Hi, this is Dr. Armine. Nice person in the 717 area code. Are you there? I guess they were just listening. Not a problem. Is there a lab test that will definitely tell me if oxalates are a problem? Yes, we went over them. It is the, um, if you have an organic acid test, uh, look at the oxalate metabolism, look at the oxalic acid. Okay, if it's high and you have, remember, it's, uh, it's, it's not just a test. You don't treat tests, you treat people. And you have symptoms that don't want to go away. 
oxalates are a problem. If you had do the oxalate creatinine ratio from LabCorp and the number is towards the higher end and you're having these symptoms, it is a slam dunk. Okay, if you're doing a 24-hour oxalate and I'm going to make up a number, the ratio is 9 to 20 and your number is 68. Okay, well, oh, no problem coming in later. I, I, I love I love re-explaining. It's not a problem at all, please. You know, I'm, I'm glad for to ask the question because when I talk, I tend to talk fast. I tend to talk like I'm from Brooklyn, which I am. Okay, and then some people miss stuff. <laughs> okay, but uh, that's a good way. Always correlate testing. Okay, uh, testing must be correlated. You can't just treat a test. That's a, one of the bigger problems that we've been having is that you either, if you treat via a test, uh, well, guess what? You're going to treat the test, not the person. So, uh, the story I always tell is that, you know, the old GP in the 1960s, you know, you'd walk in there and you were overweight and, you you know, your hair's falling out and you're, uh, you know, you're cold in the summer and you hand him a test that says you have a normal thyroid function. Well, then he's going to look at the test and say, uh, thank you, I'll use this for toilet paper later and then start treating you for hypothyroidism. But in this day and age, you can have every single sign of hypothyroidism, but if your test doesn't show it, you don't have it. That's a bad <laughs> that's a bad conclusion to make people. Okay. You treat the person, not the test. But when all the dogs are barking up a tree, you have high oxalates, you've got a lot of inflammation, you know, you've got uh suspicion of yeast overgrowth or something to that effect. If all the dogs are barking up a tree, you don't yell at the dogs, you look up the tree. Okay, and start treating what's up the tree. So please, I'm gonna be here for at least a few more minutes. You guys could call in and ask a question. I would really like it. Guess not, huh? <laughs> um, what I would really like to do uh, at some point is have a group, because this is such an important subject, that I'd really like to have a group discuss, discussion with some experts in the treatment of oxalates, okay? Um, in the files of the Triangle Oxalate Group, it says, Susan Owen says it's best to test both urine and blood because comparisons of both tests in the same person often do not show um, similar results. I have not done too many blood tests I, uh, myself, okay? Uh, and I don't doubt that the blood and urine will show different results because you're talking about what's running around the blood and what's being dumped down the urine. Uh, sometimes it's not exactly correlate, especially when you're talking about crystals. Uh, but if you correlate the symptomatology with your test, okay, and look at the history, you'll get a better feeling, in my opinion, of exactly what's going on. And the nice person in the 651 area, go to you there. Oh, sure. Hi. Hi. What is, is, it, is there a way to um, figure out oxalates in supplements? I mean, other than some of the low oxalates, but those are not really that um, comprehensive, though. Any ideas? You know, you're, you're absolutely correct. Um, I will tell you that uh, that's something I haven't I haven't looked at, but um, uh, some of the principles, and thank you for mentioning it because n now you got me curious. I'm going to look for it. Uh, anything that's made from herbs, okay, you have to be uh, cognizant of because herbs are high oxalate to begin with, and if you dry them and you powder them you increase the oxalate content geometrically, okay? And so okay. if something's made from from an herb, okay, you, you've got to be suspicious of it. 
Uh, aside from that, I'm not exactly sure, and that would be something that, you know, I will definitely look into, and if I find a source, I'll post it on our um, bioindividualized medicine site. And if anyone else has a source for that, please. I am not, I have no ego. Trust me. Just, <laughs> I don't, I know that I don't know everything. So, you know, if anybody else has a great source for that, please uh, share it with us and I'll share it with the rest of the world. I promise you. Okay, great. Thanks for your Anything time. Anything else? Um, not Thank so you. far, but I'll, li- I'll continue listening. Thank you. Okay, great. Nice person in the 402 area code. Are you there? Um, yes, I am. I probably should turn this down, I imagine. Hi, are you there? It's helpful. Otherwise, we'll get, otherwise we'll get a reverberation like crazy. <laughs> okay. Um, what can I answer so for you? What I'm, well, what I'm wondering is if you eliminate the oxalates or get them to a lower degree, um, will all the other things that a person might be dealing with um, kind of fall away, like Lyme, Candida, and stuff like that? Or do you need to treat them specifically as well? You know, that is a really excellent question, and I'm glad you asked it in just that manner. Because the way that you asked it allows me to give uh, a good answer. Uh, the answer to your question is, if you treat the oxalates, uh, let's let's forget how it got this way, okay? Because we can argue okay. back and forth what came first. But if you treat the oxalates, which are preventing every method that you use to heal, blocking all your pathways, preventing glutathione, yada, 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 okay? Not, pre- not allowing you to get your ATP. Uh, what will happen is the treatment that you utilize to get rid of the root causes, be it Lyme, be it yeast, be it whatever, will start being effective. When you get rid of the root causes, the downstream effects of those root causes, the bodies that damage to the body and whatever else is done, will start resolving. That's what I've seen clinically. Okay, the oxalate, uh, high oxalates, the oxalate issue, whatever you want to call it, has been the linchpin that has not allowed the body to begin the healing process. How it got that way, we can argue. Okay, we can argue that somebody ate too many oxalates, they have too much inflammation, they've got a leaky gut, and it hits some amorphous point, some you know perfect storm, and now nothing works. But since we're faced with somebody who we have to heal who's not healing, if you decrease the oxalates, will the body itself go after everything? It might, depending on what it is. It might go after it by itself. But I will tell you that your next step, if you work on the oxalates and fix the leaky gut, you're giving the body the best opportunity to start its healing process. And whether the immune system attacks it on its own or or you do a combined attack between whatever you're using, it's going to work. And remember that even when you take antibiotics, uh, if you had like a strep throat, you know, and you take antibiotics, you don't ever get rid of all the microorganisms. It just brings it down to the point where the body's immune system can take care of it itself. And that's what's been taken away. Okay, the homeostatic mechanisms have been interfered with, okay, by the oxalates, and this turns out to be the big linchpin. So I hope I wasn't dancing around, but that's the, that's the truth of the matter. And, and is this a pretty lengthy process? Like if, if you don't get tested for it, can you just <clears throat> start, you know, kind of slowly taking care of them and eating less of them and then, um, what was the first thing 
Oh, and then does the process take a long time? You know, it really it rid- depends on the individual. It, it depends on the individual, and frankly, it depends on who you read. Uh, it depends on the individual and how far off they are, okay, and how compromised their body are, how compromised their body is. Uh, it depends on how well it's treated and how completely it's treated. Uh, if you were to just lower oxalates, let's say, uh, yes, you know, you would slowly get rid of um, the oxalates that are crystallized in your body, but if you don't replace the minerals, okay, your, bio- your biochemical processes will not work because you need B6, you need a full complex, uh, full B complex, and a lot of minerals in order to run your biochemical processes. Uh, if there is, um, if you have neurotransmitter imbalances because of poor absorption that is partially due to the, to the uh, oxalates. Now, if the vesicles or warehouses are low, okay, you're, you can fix everything and the person will still have problems because it would take years of normal eating to get enough amino acids to build the serotonin um, glutamate GABA, you know, epinephrine, norepinephrine, and so forth. So sometimes you have mm-hmm. to do targeted amino acid therapy. So that's what I mean by it's kind of very uh, dependent on the individual and what the actual pathologies are. Is it safe to treat it on your own given what you just said? Absolutely. <laughs> if you No, seriously, if you're being gentle about it, okay, if you decrease your ox, oxalate level by 5 or 10% a week, What's the probability that you're going to be injured? Next to zero. If you stop yeah. it all of a sudden, you might. What's the uh, what are the what's the risk benefit factor of using multi-mineral citrate compounds? Okay, I'm sorry, it doesn't seem like it's a very risky thing to me. What's the right. risk benefit factor of using the B complexes that don't have the methylating products in them? Okay, so that you don't have to worry about overmethylating somebody. Again, zero. Now, some people may, you know, anybody can react to anything. Okay, there's no question about that. All right, so, mm-hmm. you know, put that as, but the risk is very, very low. And if you put mm-hmm. those three things together, you treated yourself gently, it may take a few months, but if you found yourself getting better progressively, you'd hit the, you know, you knew you backed the right horse. Okay, mm-hmm. and is it really bad to do that? No. All right, if you have, if you were to do an oxalate test and then you did another one later on, let's say two, three months later, and it's half of what it was, you know you're being blessedly successful, you know, and if you're still having problems, that may be the time to talk to a provider who understands what's going on because then it'd be time, then it would be time to maybe be a little bit more aggressive at whatever the root causes are. There's many, many different permutations here, but can you treat this on your own? Sure, as long as you're gentle about it. You know, mm-hmm. I used to, I, I, I actually have a, a pilot's license, and I remember taking my FAA check exam, and I remember the FAA examiner saying, you know, Jess, you you don't fly the plane. I looked at him and said, I beg your pardon. <laughs> you know, he says, no, 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 the plane flies itself. Okay, what you do is put control inputs in. Okay, he says, the best pilots fly with two fingers. And he's right, because if you over-control an airplane, it will crash. All you can do is kind of nudge it, and it'll do exactly what you tell it to do, unless you happen to be a F-18, in which case you have to knock it around, but not little planes, okay? Same thing with the human body. If you take your time, let it achieve its homeostasis little in pieces, it'll heal. All you're doing is taking away its impediments to healing. 
Do you have time for one more question? Of course. So support gallbladder function, digestive enzymes. What if you do not have a gallbladder and could oxalates have been the reason I had my gallbladder removed? Most probably. Uh, you still have gallbladder function. Otherwise, you would have no bile. Okay, the, bi- mm-hmm. the gallbladder is what stores bile, which comes out of the liver. Okay, bile is what gives the feces its color. Okay, so when you have a, a true gallbladder blockage, your feces will be absolutely white. Okay, mm-hmm. so obviously that's not true. So what they do is when they take the gallbladder out, they connect it so that the, uh, the tube that's going from the liver into the uh, duodenum goes directly. Okay, uh, the oxalates may have been the reason why you develop kidney stones. I'm sorry, um, gallbladder stones. I'm, that may not be completely correct on that, but I suspect that would be true. Uh, if you uh, are supporting gallbladder function, the same idea of how you would support gallbladder function by um, thinning out tenacious bile uh, and uh, perhaps utilizing, if you're having some trouble uh, absorbing fats, utilizing lipases or oxbile or something to that effect, help the uh, fat emulsification so that the liver is not working as hard. Okay, That's how one supports gallbladder function. And... Um, you know, the Chinese herbalists have uh, a couple of good tricks up their sleeve concerning, concerning that, and there are some substances out there that help um, thin the bile because sometimes the bile can be very, very, very thick and tenacious, and that's what makes it hard to move. Um, but can it be from the oxalate? Sure, it could be. You know, mm-hmm. is it, again, worth treating without uh, and doing something in a manner that doesn't injure yourself? Absolutely. You could do it. Okay. Well, that sounds very good. Okay. Well, it's a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. There's a question on the chat that says, I definitely have fungal candida overgrowth and dysbiosis. No matter how many probiotics I take, I cannot increase my good bacteria. What would you treat first? The gut, candida. Uh, It's the same person. Um, it depends on the individual and their history. A question to answer. Uh, generally speaking, I would treat both at the same time. Um, some people, uh, when you're treat, just talking about treating leaky gut, uh, generally speaking, you want to treat leaky gut first uh, to give the body some reserves, if you will, until you go out before you go after the bugs. But uh, there are some people who, no matter what you do, uh, they just can't get beyond the. Um, can't be, get beyond the leaky gut, so what you do is you go ahead and treat the um, dysbiosis first and very aggressively and then backfill in uh, the gut treatment. Uh, it's not the preferred way of doing it, but sometimes it's the only way of doing it. And that's why you have to work with a, with a practitioner who understands how these things work because that takes some, that takes some knowledge and some practice. Next question, vitamin K2 from Thorn has been working wonders for my son, an oxalate problem. Um, it jumped around to nothing. Uh, he takes two drops. If having a high oxalate meal, this is from Dr. Klingard's camp. Um, okay. Thank you. Okay. Uh, uh, the thing is, always remember, people. As much as I, as much as I appreciate um, appreciate input like this, uh, you know, it's something to be put into the greater scheme of things. Okay. Uh, what works for one person doesn't work for another. 
if you've been on any of the MTHFR um, pages, you know, somebody will ask, what do I take for MTHFR, which always makes my head spin and, you know, makes uh, steam come out of my ears uh, because what works for one person doesn't work for another. And, um, you know, each person has to be treated individually. But the knowledge that something may have helped another individual rather significantly, you put it in your toolbox and you say, hmm, you know, if I'm going to try that, what's the risk-benefit factors? Any risk to more K2? No. You know, should I try it? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm not going to, me, I'm not going to say yeah or nay because I said I'm not going to trade anybody. But if it's, you know, works for somebody else and there's no risk, sometimes that's the final arbiter is the risk-benefit factor. So, again, thank you for uh, putting that up on the uh, on the uh, the chat. Okay. Come on. I know you're out there. I can hear you breathing. Okay. Does anybody have any more questions? You know, this is a really, really, um, really interesting and um, significant subject. So I'm thinking of seeing who I can get together, who are like, if I could get Susan Owens or uh, uh, some of the uh, admins from the Tri-Low-Oxlick group into a discussion uh, forum for you guys to ask questions uh, on exactly, you could ask more technical you know, procedural questions, functional questions, like how do we, you know, how do we do this? How do we do that? Uh, some people, um, that's where they get, uh, they get locked up here is the actual, um, the actual uh, procedure on how to get the oxalates down and how long it takes. And it's been individual. I begin to read some people, it takes several months. Some people it takes years. Some people, you know, they're feeling better very quickly. Uh, and in my estimation, once you start doing that and the pathways start working again, is when I can start working on the root causes. Once I start working on the root causes, okay, that gives a signal for the body to ha- start dropping their inflammation. And I've seen where the oxal problem simply goes away. Uh, so it's got to be a combined approach. You can't just treat the oxalates. You've got to treat the oxalates and then treat the root causes and the other downstream effects. Uh, and uh, like again, the genetics do point the way, uh, give you pointers, uh, tell you what pathways will um, stop working efficiently under great um, uh, under great loads of oxidative stress. Can oxalates prevent the growth of good bacteria in the gut? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. And by the way, anything that continues inflammation, anything that continues dysbiosis, by definition would uh, prevent the good bacteria uh, growth in the gut. Uh, and I think, you know, the oxalates or whatever, they tend to protect themselves, not that they're living beings, um, by getting, you know, knocking out the uh, the lactate-producing bacteria because that's what can chew them up. I don't know if that's for true, but uh, it does seem that way. Uh, but no, it definitely can do that. Absolutely. Do we have any other questions? I know everybody, I had a really good response on uh, Facebook uh, for this particular um, podcast. So I'd really like to know what you would like to know. Uh, if you have any other suggestions, any other questions, 
uh, if I see a trend, I'll know what to do for a future for a future podcast. Okay, I've been trying to do my best to give you podcasts that give you the information that you're looking for. Okay, and to have experts on talking about different subjects. This has been a real uh, treat for me each week uh, to ch- to chatter with you guys because I get the opportunity to um, promulgate good information and uh, see what your actual concerns are. And uh, so far I've been seeing that um, each subject that we bring up has uh, been significant. And, uh, you know, if you have other suggestions about things that you'd like to hear about that you think would help out people generally, I'd like to hear about it myself. Okay, I'd like to know. I will get the experts. I will, you know, address the subjects, you know, if need be. Okay, I enjoy these uh, little meetings we're having every week. Uh, It's really good. And if anybody would like else to ask a question, I would really like to answer it. Oh, it's a good one. I have read that parasites in the gut create oxalates. If one already eats a very low oxalate diet and yet has high oxalates on a urine test and occasionally, but not all the time, high EOS on blood tests, can it be assumed that parasites are a problem? Well, stated that way, absolutely. Okay? Parasites, Kerry uh, Rivera's group, um, CD Autism, uh, who you, and her group uses... Um, uh, chlorine dioxide, uh, otherwise known as MMS, to um, to kill parasites, and uh, that's one of the one of the root causes for autism because the parasites tend to make the dopamine go right through the roof. Okay, and a very high dopamine will give you hallucinations or give you autism. So, for if you have high eosinophils and even though you're eating a low oxalate diet, quite frankly, uh, whatever you're eating, that those parasites are just, you know, knocking that activity way up. So the parasites have to be handled. Okay, parasites are a toughie, but they can be handled if you don't take care of them. It's like not taking care of Lyme; they will bite you in the hiney later on. Okay, you have to take care of parasites. If you had a test that said you had Blastocystis hominis and you're still having high um, oxalates, you just can't let it go. You've got to, you've got to keep attacking until you get it. There's many different roads in taking care of parasites, but they must be taken care of. For, inter- whoa, for interstitial cystitis, are oxalates an additional trigger of symptoms, or are they the trigger? In other words, is it possible that fixing oxalate issue could mean returning all of their fun things prior to that diagnosis. Uh, thank you for asking that question in that manner. Uh, yes, quite frankly, uh, interstitial cystitis has several causes, um, and one major one is oxalates, and it can be an exacerbatory problem. It can be the primary problem. Uh, intracellular protozoa have been indicated in interstitial cystitis. Uh, that's very much like a parasite. Has that caused the high oxalates, which causes symptoms? Has that caused the vulvar pain, the vulvodynia? And I realize that interstitial cystitis is a nasty thing that takes uh, the uh, a woman's ability to wait, um, a woman's ability to be a woman away. Okay, and I've been very, very successful in treating it because we go after it from the point of view of not only treating the oxalates but treating the root causes that we find, which, again, are intracellular parasites, 
intracellular protozoa, there's ways of getting at them if you treat them in a combined manner. This is usually the person who's not responded to the typical antibiotic streams and other, other things that have been done generally. But if you treat both things, uh, the success rate's been very high. And, um, you know, that's that's something that, you know, I usually get shot at because uh, the uh, the IC people, like, they don't want to hear it. But guess what? If um, If you treat the oxalates and you treat the root causes, which I believe to be parasitic or, or protozoal, you know, intracellular, okay, you can um, usually get that. You can usually resolve that particular condition comparatively readily. Uh, Dr. Fry at the Fry Labs uh, sometimes can, uh, you can see it under the microscope. Uh, I do a lot blood cell analysis in my office. Um, if I see it in red blood cells, I'm going to assume it's there, and then we're going to go get it. Okay, but yes, it can be the primary reason. It could be the reason for exacerbation. Thank you for asking that question. That's a very, very, very good question. There's a lot of ladies suffering from interstitial cystitis out there, an awful lot. And uh, frankly, they're suffering in silence, and that bothers me. Anybody who suffers in silence bothers me, but, you know, that one's, um, you know, because of the area and the uh, symptomatology, and the stigma attached to it, uh, a lot of a lot of women are suffering in silence on that one. And um, I'd like different types of treatment to be promulgated so that they don't have to suffer in silence. Um, nasty thing, nasty thing. Anyone else? We still got some time left. Okay, let me ask you guys a question. Okay, since you're out there and you're typing away, uh, what? Any other subjects that you would like the Center for Bioindividualized Medicine to portray? Whoa, here we go. I tuned in late, so I don't know if you talked about chronic widespread pain. How would you treat it? Chronic widespread pain, okay, can be from loads of different reasons. Uh, one of the reasons, one of the bigger reasons are the oxalates, okay, because they form crystals, that can be the reason for the pain. I mean, literally, you know, cutting and, you know, that's the reason for the pain. Uh, by treating the oxalates, and, and again, if you go to the PDF, you, it's, uh, it, it talked about reducing the intake of oxalates uh, slowly, 5 or 10% a week, uh, utilizing mineral citrates, uh, utilizing other substances. And let me repeat them because some of them are not written down. Let me get to that page where I had made my notes. Okay. Uh, the use of B6, uh, but in small doses to begin with, uh, like a quarter of a 25-milligram uh, tablet of working your way up, uh, to the use of N-acetylglucosamine and chondroitin, which uh, helps bring up hyaluronic acid to decrease pain and decrease oxalate formation. Uh, utilization of multimineral citrate compounds to help bind the oxalates and give you the um, minerals that you've lacked, okay? Uh, perhaps the use of transdermal magnesium, and that would be Epsom salts or magnesium oil because it will help dissolve calcium and uh, mercury oxalates. Uh, the use of high concentration of lactic, lactic bacteria probiotics and the use of uh, fish oils. Okay, those are the things that I mentioned. 
And the nice person in the 651 area code. Are you there? Yes, actually, I, I already spoke once. So I hope it's okay. You know, I thought of another sure. question. Can oxalates be responsible yes. for um, stomach irritation? Absolutely. Like stomach uh, aches absolutely. and things like that? That is probably the primary thing they do. Okay, because, okay. again, the oxalates are forming in, uh, in the gut as well as, and if, as well as in the blood. And if you think about it, if they're continuing dysbiosis and continuing inflammation and not allowing the body to heal, they would be the primary reason why whatever gut problem you have is continuing. And the mechanism by that can be the dysbiosis issue. It can be the fact that it's um, not allowing the biochemical processes to work by the fact that it's pulling away cofactors and coenzymes and or that it's blocking uh, various biochemical pathways. Okay, all these things can conspire together uh, to continue inflammatory response, and that would be wherever, including the gut. Okay, thanks. It sounds like I need to make an appointment, so I'll call your office. Thanks. <laughs> okay. You're all right, take welcome. care. Bye-bye. Nice person in the 402 area code. Hi. Hi, I spoke with you just a little bit ago, but I do have another question as well. I, I noticed the um, number, but you're welcome back. <laughs> okay, thank you. Um, peripheral neuropathy, um, is that connected? With Did you say peripheral oxygen? neuropathy? Yeah, like, you know, in your legs and, and, sure. and feet. Well, uh, here's, uh, you know, remember that um, anything that, and just like I told the nice lady before, uh, anything that continues inflammation, anything that robs your body of the cofactors and coenzymes that it needs to work, and for uh, nerve transmission, classically you need the B-complexes, B12, B6, folate, um, sodium, potassium, uh, magnesium, chloride, and so forth. Uh, anything that um, continues inflammation uh, and robs your body of those things would reasonably keep peripheral neuropathy going. Remember that inflammation and various uh, pathologies express differently. Okay, you The same pathology can express in you as peripheral neuropathy and in another person just as belly pain. Okay, the um, consideration of the oxalates, if you get a history of someone who's been chronically ill, who's been unresponsive to several different appropriate therapies, it's a, it's a slam dunk to at least check for it, okay? If you have even higher suspicions because there's, you know, a history of yeast infections or a history of... Uh, parasites or Lyme disease or anything to that effect, okay, that just raises your index of suspicion more, okay? But just the fact that somebody has any kind of inflammatory process going on that has been unresponsive to a reasonable amount of treatment or reasonable types of treatment, okay, at least considering the oxalates, checking for them, which, mind you, that, that random urine sample is the easiest thing in the world to do, Okay, you just got to, you know, you go to the lab, shoom, there you go. And three days later, you got an answer. Okay, you put yeah. it together and you say, okay, let me look, all right? And it's one of those things that if you check and it hasn't been checked before and you find it, it can be a game changer for somebody. Here's, here's someone who's had neuropathies for their whole life or, you know, for a long time where they've had 
pain or they've had interstitial cystitis, nobody checked the ops. If somebody checks the ops list, starts treating it appropriately, that's that ends up being the thing that starts turning stuff around. Okay, is it 100% of the time? Of course, nothing is. Okay, but if you take a good history, which is why I keep telling people, if you're in real estate, it's location, location, location. If you're in medicine, it's history, history, history. That's why I take two hours for, <laughs> you know, for an initial appointment because I don't like to miss things. Okay, Sean does the same thing. Okay, that's how we find out what's wrong. But this is just another permutation, another thing you sit there and go. Okay, if this has not been checked and this is she's got a lot of inflammation, you know, let's check this. It's the easiest thing in the world to check and if it's there we treat it, we're gonna turn this around. Okay, so yes, um, in answer to your question, it can be one of the reasons uh, that peripheral neuropathy continues. what is the best test for the oxalates? Oh, oh so just to find inflammation, what's the best test? My husband was wondering. Well, finding inflammation is, uh, it's, inflammation can be, is, is not a direct test. Uh, there's some of the tests that have been utilized, like the sedimentation rate, your sedimentation rate and the high-sensitivity uh, C-reactive protein, in my experience, hasn't been showing very much, quite frankly. And unfortunately, that's the standard tests, and I'll have uh, my allopathic buddies look at me and say, well, that person doesn't have inflammation then. And that's when I reach through the phone and I start smacking them silly. I'm like, what do you call these mm-hmm. symptoms from then? Okay? And then I get upset uh, and I speak Brooklynese at them and it, it goes down from there. But <laughs> that's my bad. That's my mm-hmm. attempted joke. Uh, but if you look at, let's say, the vitamin D125 and the vitamin D25OH, generally vitamin D is checked by with the 25OH. If you do the 125, which is the calcitrol, and you look at it as a ratio, 125 over 25, if it's more than a 2 to 1 ratio, and I've seen it when it's been 5 to 1, you know that person's got a ton of inflammation. There are loads of different, uh, more sideways sideways indicators of chronic inflammation, okay? Um, it, and this is how, this is where experience comes in. If you look, let's say the CBC, you see a low, low, low platelets, low normal platelets. You know that person's got, you know, adrenal exhaustion. Uh, if you're asking how to check for, the best way to check for oxalates would be with the organic acid test because you're getting all the organic acids that you can compare and you look at the, um, uh, the yeast um yeast markers, bacterial markers, uh, the oxalate metabolites, the neurotransmitter metabolites, uh, but that costs money and has to be ordered and um, mm-hmm. it has to be interpreted. If you're looking for a spot test, uh, that oxalate creatinine ratio from uh, LabCorp is one of the better ones. It's covered on the most insurance. Okay, if, you have, if your insurance covers LabCorp, it's going to cover this test. You can get a 24-hour urine oxalate uh, most people don't like doing that because they have to walk around with this uh, jug and pee in the jug for 24 hours, okay? And, of course, Quest has an oxalate test that will give you the same thing. It's a spot test and it will give you a reading. Um, and, again, it has to be interpreted, okay? If you have a lot of um, symptoms of this and that oxalate creatinine ratio is towards the top end, okay, or the oxalate is towards the top end of the reference range or above it, it's a slam dunk. Okay, and always remember that if you make the if you make that presumption, if you start treating, your your final arbiter in any kind of treatment is the risk benefit factor. Okay, so I, you know we decide that you have high oxalates. 
what's the risk in lowering your oxalate slowly using B6 or B-complex, giving you multimineral citrates in the proper dosages and, you know, treating it properly? What is the risk in that? Minimal or none. What's the benefit? Enormous. If it, if it didn't work, you're not spending a lot of money, no harm, no foul. Okay, right. but if it does work, it would turn around a long-term chronic condition of whatever ilk, and wouldn't it be worth it? Okay, if mm-hmm. we utilize that, if people, you know, look at, look at us, Sean and I, and say, well, you know, you guys charge so much money. Well, frankly, we don't, okay? We're, we're less than almost everybody out there, but I always tell them, look, don't look at the number by itself. Look at the way that you're treated. We spend a lot of time making sure you don't spend a lot of money on, on supplements. You go to some doctors, you walk in, you walk out with two shopping bags worth of supplements, and you're going to be on three to $500 worth of supplements every month from now until forever. That doesn't happen mm-hmm. in our office because we do things individually. So when someone looks at our, our prices and says, well, you know, that seems like a lot of money, so, well, I'm spending two hours with you, okay, plus an hour beforehand preparing the case. Okay, and each time I see you, you know, I'm spending a significant amount of time researching and I'm making sure that you're not spending the good Lord's own fortune in treatment. Okay, I take that very, very seriously. That's why I don't have my own vitamin line. Okay, because then I don't feel that I use good vitamins. I'll send you to Dr. Ben, I'll send you to other people, you know, who I know have good vitamins because I've researched them and I know the quality of their vitamins. Okay, but it's the same thing, It's, it's a risk benefit thing. So if you can look at yourself in the mirror, I can look at you in the face and say, there's no risk here. And the the probable benefit is really, really high because you fit right in this profile. Isn't it worth a trial of four to six weeks of doing something that's totally benign but maybe life-changing for you? You Certainly. In my estimation, that's how I look at it, okay? And I hope I'm not being on my soapbox. I apologize if I am, but it's really, um, that's the way it should be. That's the way... doctors should be acting okay doctors should be back to where they were caring more about you than anything else that's going on if i look on your website since you brought up cost do you have your fees on there is that something you'd call the office for you can call the office they should be on there uh we're getting a new website so i'm going to apologize right off the bat if you go to my website and things don't work or look screwy Okay. <laughs> actually, actually, yeah, I did. I did just see them here. And, okay, and you can see that you can see them in there. Yeah. Yes. The the last lady, um, she spoke about the stomach irritation. Would gastro gastroparesis fall into that? Then maybe that might be a contributor to that. Well, gastroparesis is the lack of function of the, um, you know, lack of motion motility in the uh, mm-hmm. in the gut, and that can have a lot of reasons you're always going to consider the inflammatory component. Uh, Sometimes it's a neurological component. Uh, Sometimes, believe it or not, it's a lack of serotonin. Okay, serotonin is the major neurotransmitter of the enteric nervous system, your gut. And I've had people with gastroparesis that, you know, uh, I would take, I do neurotransmitter testing. I tell them, like, look at that serotonin, you know. Mm -hmm. If I drop the tryptophan, all of a sudden the gut starts barking. So can it be a component of that? It could. Okay, would I consider it? Absolutely. Would I call it an absolute? No. Okay, there's lots of reasons for gastroparesis, and um, you want to be a little careful with depend- depending on how bad that person's gastroparesis is on how you work with it. Okay, and that's the reason yeah. 
you work with a healthcare provider who's experienced and, and will look at everything and will do a good history. You know, the other thing is we don't do like a slew of tests before you see us. Okay, we look at the tests that you have before we decide on other tests. The only thing I've been doing kind of um, presumptively, if the person hasn't had an oxalate test, I'll send and they have LabCorp and they have Quest. Even when I talk to them the first time on the phone, I'll send them the, the order for it because I know I'm going to want to look for it just listening to them. You know, and if it's already covered, it's no harm, no foul. You know, and mm-hmm. I've been catching more high oxalates than not. Okay, and that has really that changes my treatment plans significantly. Yeah, you know, to make them much more successful and quicker too. Mm-hmm. I know um, it's silly, isn't it? <laughs> it would just be nice. I mean, I've been I've been reading or looking and listening to all kinds of webinars here lately, and I'm like going, oh, okay, I've got my chemistry lessons. Um, one last thing, you said for low zinc B6. High zinc P5P. What is the difference? Um, I know the difference in them, but I mean, why do you treat one with one type and one with the other? You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't remember right off the bat. Um, okay. You know something? Um, if you uh, PM me or email me, um, it just escapes me right at the moment. Okay, there was a reason for that. Um, I just can't call it up. Uh, but I'd be okay. very, very happy to answer it. Um, I never lie. A lot of my tongue snaps off, you know. Uh, it's just not on the tip of my tongue, and I can't remember it at the moment. Not a problem at all. Okay. Um, I just want to Thanks. thank you for all of this information. It's great. Most welcome. I'm glad you're here. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye. Okay, another question. Since oxalates, antibiotics, bad bacteria, and fungus destroy the good bacteria in your gut, how do you replenish the good bacteria? Do you go after the oxalates first or the fungus or the bad bacteria? Uh, (laughs) As I said before, it kind of depends. Okay, sometimes you go after them all at once. Uh, Sometimes you um, pick and choose your battles. It all depends on the person's history. Uh, Like I said to you before, there's other people that, you know, we've tried the usual stuff and, we had to go after the bugs first, and um, yes, they do destroy good bacteria, but sometimes, here's what you want to avoid, okay, I will tell you this, if you have, and a lot of people have multiple, what I like to call multiple microbial problems, okay, if you have parasites, fungi, uh, bacteria, and so forth, uh, the difficulty is uh, treating with an antibacterial, because then the parasites and the fungi are doing push-ups, then teach you treating with an antifungal, then the bacteria and the Parasites are doing push-ups. Then an antiparasitic, a lot of people will, a lot of uh, medical doctors will treat in rotation, okay, where if I had this particular kind of condition, I would use a broad biocidal agent, okay, to get after everybody while I'm constantly replenishing the body. Sometimes, sometimes you have to make a clinical decision to go after the offenders and not replenish the body so that the offenders die and when you get them to a point, that's when you start replenishing the body. It's a clinical decision for clinical reasons that are discussed with the individual patient. But generally speaking, if somebody has multiple things, I'll use a broad biocidal agent, and then I'll consistently replenish so that as dysbiosis is dying, it's being replenished by good bacteria that's not being affected by the broad biocidal agent. Can I talk about mold exposure? For years, if you like. Uh, that's a joke, sorry. 
Uh, some recommend carrot juice. How do you replace nutrition without greens and carrots? Um, that seems like a couple of um, different questions there. Uh, one, uh, talk about mold exposure. Um, some recommend carrot juice. How do you replace nutrition without greens and carrots? Well, uh, a lot of different ways. Okay, If you can't have greens or carrots, uh, you can use either... Uh, Replacement by uh, by supplementation, uh, sometimes replacement by intravenous therapy. Uh, mold exposure can be a very nasty, nasty thing. It can really crash uh, someone's system. Okay, it can set their neurotransmitters awry and make their lives miserable. Start an entire inflammatory process going. Uh, sometimes you can't fix everything through the gut, and you have to work intravenously. Uh, it can, uh, you don't, uh, I'm not exactly sure why carrot juice would have been uh, recommended except for the vitamin A and um, uh, if you have the BCMO um, polymorphisms, which would uh, make it difficult for you to take beta carotene and turn into vitamin A, that can be an issue. But uh, mold exposure uh, has to be treated uh, fairly aggressively. Okay, a lot of times people will use something like uh, chlorostyramine or something like pectisol, uh, citrus pectin. Okay, there's multiple ways of dealing with it. I need a lot more information to answer that question. Sorry. I see one person typing, so I'm going to wait because we have a few minutes uh, left. Um, sometimes if you ask a question, it's kind of, uh, you know, out of context, it makes it difficult to ask the. Um, it makes it difficult to answer the question. But if you do have a longer question, uh, I do offer a 15-minute get acquainted conference. You can call my office at 4499. I'm sorry, 610-4499716. Talk to my assistant, and she will schedule you for a 15-minute uh, get acquainted conference. It doesn't cost anything. Uh, you can ask your question. I can, and then I can answer and if uh, determined whether I can help you or not. That's the reason I do these. And um, it makes me feel comfortable and gives us an opportunity to get to know one another. And um, this way, if we're going to be working together, um, I have a good feeling that I can help something. Uh, and then you've already met me. Okay, it's, uh, It makes me more comfortable, makes you more comfortable. And then I can take ask questions about your question, and then I can answer your um, concerns uh, more completely. Okay, I'm not seeing anything else. Oh, there it goes. Nope. Okay, anybody else would like to call in at 646? You're most welcome, my friend. 646-595-2277. Uh, 646-9595-22... I'm sorry, one more time, just 646-595-2277 if you'd like to ask a question. Uh, I uh, encourage you guys to... Um, uh, post on our Center for Bioindividualized Medicine page uh, and um, you know, give us suggestions of uh, subjects uh, that you would like to hear about. If you know groups that would like to um, you know, let us know what they do, if they're within our uh, purview of the stuff we're doing, you know, perfectly okay. Uh, if you have people who have uh, great, um, you know, wonderful stories of uh, healing, um, we'd like to portray them also. So uh, please get in contact with us. So it looks like there are no more questions. 
So I think what I'm going to do is, since it is almost time, I will say goodnight. And thank you so much for all all of your attention. I am thinking about getting a um, group discussion together with as many experts on obsoletes. Since this seems to be a subject that people are very uh, interested in, I will let you know in a week or two if I can get that together. And it will be a... um, open mic night, which means you'll be able to call in and ask your questions. So I will uh, advertise that very extensively so you can tell all your friends and you guys can call in and talk to all the experts on Oxlitz. So anyway, again, thank you so much for your attention. Thank you for your really good questions. And I appreciate you being with me tonight. You guys have a good week. Getting from there to here It's been a long time But my time is finally here I can feel a change in the wind right now Nothing's in my way And I'm not gonna hold me down no more No, I'm not gonna hold me down Just remember, the reason we do this, people, is because we know that you are the strongest, the best people out there, people with chronic illnesses, who have just survived. We're uh, we're completely in awe. So guess what? The reason we keep on working, we keep getting peeling away the layers of this onion, is for you, because we care and we want you to have lives. Okay, and we know that. You are the strongest people we know, and we're impressed. You guys have a great week. Thanks a lot for listening. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo, and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.